Melody Carlson is an award-winning author of inspirational romance. With more than 200 books and 6.5 million copies sold, she certainly knows what she's doing. Included in that backlist is a goodly number of Christmas novellas. Welcome to the Joys of Binge Reading, the show for anyone who ever got to the end of a great book and wanted to read the next instalment. We interview successful series authors and recommend the best in mystery, suspense, historical and romance series, so you'll never be without a book you can't put down. You'll find this episode's show notes, a free ebook, and lots more information at thejoysofbingereading.com. And now, here's our show. Hi there, I'm your host Jenny Wheeler, and to celebrate the season, we're featuring authors who've made Christmas books one of their specialties, like Melody. Her latest book for Christmas is called A Quilt for Christmas, and it's out now. Melody talks about starting on Christmas stories 23 years ago, she's written one practically every year since, creating stories for people who may not expect a fabulous family time in the festive season, and her project to develop screenplays for some of her many books. But before we get to that, a little bit about other news. This week's giveaway, My Little Christmas Gift to You, three holiday novellas, Tangled Destiny, Hope Redeemed and Captive Heart. Two of the three have Christmas themes to put you in a festive mood. Details for that link and for other things that we've discussed in this show can be found on the website show notes for this episode at thejoysofbingereading.com. And remember, if you like what you hear, then leave a review of the show on your favourite podcast site so others can hear about us too. But now, here's Melody. Hello there, Melody, and welcome to the show. It's great to have you with us. Thank you for having me. You're an award-winning author of inspirational romance and quite a number of other genres, which we'll get to. I'm really impressed. You've got 200 books to your credit and 6.5 million in sales. That's mind-boggling. How does it feel to have got that far with it all? It kind of boggles my mind, too, and I try not to think too hard about it. (laughs) It's a remarkable achievement. Now, included in that, as we've mentioned, is a good number of other genres and particularly Christmas novellas you've made a specialty of. And we're planning to run this show in early December. So we're focusing on the Christmas novellas to start with and then moving on to some of the other books. This year's Christmas story is titled A Quilt for Christmas. Tell us about the appeal of Christmas stories for readers. I think Christmas is a time when people have high expectations and there's hard things going on, but you want to make it all holly and jolly. And it's not always like that. So when I started doing my Christmas novellas, I tried to make it real and have people with things that aren't all perfectly wonderful, but that wind up happy. And I think it's an encouragement when people are approaching the Christmas season because it's a look at life and I hope it gives people hope. Yes, and the women in A Quote for Christmas, they do have various reasons for feeling alone at this family time of year. And on your website, you do say that you like writing true-to-life fiction. So that fits very much into that pattern, doesn't it? Yeah, I just feel like we can learn through storytelling. Not that I want to teach people anything, but I think 
we can grow and experience and make our real life maybe a little bit richer because we've been inspired by something. Now, a quote for Christmas, it features, as you might imagine, around patchwork. Patchwork brings together a group of women with different hurts, gaps in their lives. Tell us a little bit about that story. Well, it begins with Vera, who's displaced because her children are grown and she's got grandchildren and she's widowed recently and she lives in a big old house and her daughter convinces her to relocate to this other town and she moves into a condo. She's never lived in a condo apartment before, a flat, as you would say, and um, it's not really her thing. But then her daughter moves away because her daughter and her husband, they get job changes and boom, they're gone. And now Vera's kind of stuck in the condo and she doesn't have her old Victorian house that she used to decorate for Christmas. She doesn't have her neighbors. She doesn't have her quilting friends. And then this little girl knocks on her door and needs help because her mom is sick. And that's kind of just sends it all off. And that's such a common story, isn't it? You could see that repeated over and over across the land where people make well-intentioned decisions about accommodating their aging parents. And then for whatever reason, life gets in the way and people are left high and dry and marooned. Right. I know of people that this has happened to, and it's a frustrating thing. And I guess it's that thing of trying to eat out of lemons and, and make the best of it. Because for Vera, there was no going back. And she got pulled into making the best of it, which I think is fun. This little girl, Fiona, they're a family that's from Ireland and they're displaced too and having some hard times and three children. And anyway, this little girl's just a precocious, smart, old soul, four-year-old going on 40 and she gets things going. That's gorgeous. How many of these Christmas stories have you written? And roundish figures doesn't have to be absolutely exact, but. I know it's more than 20. I always write them in the summertime and I really don't even know. I think it maybe is 23, the 23rd one I finished, but I don't know. Yeah. A lot. And how did you get started in them? Well, it was a fluke. Nobody even really knew what a Christmas novella was at the time. And an editor that I really liked challenged me and said, what about writing a smaller story for Christmas? Maybe it'll work. Maybe it won't work. And so I wrote one that was called Angels in the Snow. And it's funny, I don't think I even have that one on my bookshelf. And it was a hard story that gets better. I love it. It's one of my favorite stories. And it took off. And so then it's like, okay, let's do another one and another one. And it's been like what, 23 years, I think, since we very first started it. And would there be people who only read Christmas stories in your selection, but don't read anything else? Oh, not at all. It's a story that in some ways it could be any time of the year, but yep. it's about people and relationships and facing something difficult and then hopefully it gets better but the whole christmas market it has just gone boom in recent years hasn't it i mean both christmas stories and christmas romances right like i said when i did the first one it bookstores were like well where do we put this one and now there's a plethora of them they're all over the place it's good but there's more competition going on but it shows that people like them and is Christmas a special time for you personally? You know, it's funny because I guess my life is like my stories. I grew up with a divorced mom and no father in the house. And she was a working mother. And so our home environment was a little cold and sterile in a way. And it was the 60s. But we had a grandmother 
who lived about three hours away and she had this old Victorian house and she loved to decorate. She loved to cook. She loved her family. And so we would all flock down there. And those were just the best Christmases ever. And so I've got that bittersweet memories of Christmas, which is a lot like life. And then ironically, I married a man whose birthday is Christmas Day. So we've had to carry in our own traditions. That's gorgeous. And have you had a family yourself? I'm wondering with your obvious tenderness towards the little girl in this story. Right. Yes. We had two sons that now they're grown. They're old middle-aged men now. I also taught preschool for a few years and always taught four-year-olds. And I, I love four-year-olds. I think that is such a precious age. And in fact, my editor, who doesn't have children, even challenged me on, well, the four-year-old, would she really talk like that? And I go, yes. Not all of them, of course, but there are a few that are like that. And they're just, they're amazing. The way they think, they're just so free and yet they're clever. And yeah, it's that's, fun that, age. Yeah, that's amazing. That's wonderful. Look, you have written a very wide range of stories. When I went and had a look on your website, you've done teen fiction, you've done historicals, including a World War II series about the Mulligan sisters that you're still producing today. And we'll get on and talk about that a little bit later. Western romance as well as romantic suspense. Whereabouts did you begin when you started out with this great output? What did you write first? The very first thing I wrote, because I didn't know what I was doing, was it was a teen. It ended up being a series. It was my first series. And it was actually set right after World War II. But my heart was really on contemporary women's fiction. And I'd read people like Rosamund Pilcher and Benchy, and I loved what they did. And I aspired to do something like that. But I've been all over the boards. You're right. I've even done a World War I historical series. So yeah, it's all over the place. And a lot of books for teens. And I'm not doing so much teens anymore. I've got probably a hundred books and I don't know how many series. And actually one of my most popular series for teens is Option for TV. So we're hoping we'll get to see that. Oh gosh, and what's that one about? It's called Diary of a Teenage Girl. And it's just this everyday gritty life of a teenager. And the series I did had 16 books. So I ended up having four different characters, but they were all intertwined with each other. As one got older, the next one would come along. And the first one, her, her name's Caitlin, and she's this all-American teenage girl, but she's got some challenges. And it'll be fun to see what they do with that. Pureflix is the company that wants to do it. And I have some other things that are optioned and been movies and about to become movies too. So I love that part of it too. Yeah. And with that teen one that's going to TV, what years were they teenagers? Did they have mobile phones and all that stuff? No, not so much. <laughs> Those are things that they'll have to change. When I wrote the first one, I think it was about 2000. Mobile phones were around, but they weren't real common, especially with teenagers. So they'll have to address that in the TV yeah. series. Yeah. 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 Look, I noticed that you've just published, I think it's this month you're publishing book four. I might add that we're recording this in September. In September, you brought out book four in your World War II Mulligan Sisters series. And I was interested because World War II, of course, is enjoying huge popularity at the moment. But yours is a little bit different because it's set in San Francisco after Pearl Harbor. Tell us a little bit about that angle on it. Right. San Francisco is actually my hometown, birth town, and I've had a fondness for it. But I also grew up with a lot of really strong women who had 
played various roles, roles or had had husbands that were in the war. And there were pictures all around my grandma's house. And it was just a mysterious era to me. And the women were to me because I'd hear their side of the stories because, you know, men don't talk that much about what happened. And but I'd hear the women's sides. And I always felt like now, telling the women's stories during the war would be really fun. So I created this family, the Mulligans. And they're all daughters, except the brother who gets killed in Pearl Harbor at the very beginning. And that sort of ignites these four young women of various ages, and they all get involved in different ways. And actually, my website is probably a little out of date. My son runs it for me, and we get distracted. But it, it's been out for a little while, the Mulligans. Oh. That was the inspiration behind it. Great. So how do you cover the war aspect of it? There aren't any actual bombs falling, are there? Not really. I mean, you hear about it because you hear it through the sisters. One has a husband that's over there and he ends up getting wounded and comes back home with PTSD and some problems. And another one is engaged to a doctor who's over there. And I'm even getting mixed up with the World War One series because there's some similarities there. But you hear through letters and the stories, but it's the story of the home front because they were rationing and these people, they ran a grocery store. That was something that was true to my family and heritage that my grandpa ran a grocery store during the war, and there were people that would try to cheat on their ration coupons and funny little things like that. I just thought it was a part of history that was fun for women to hear, I think. Strong women working hard. I hadn't realized that the States had rationing as well. I thought it was only in Britain, so that's something I've learned already. Yeah, I mean, tires and shoes and gas and all kinds of things that made life challenging. Sugar, they weren't allowed to buy more than so much sugar. And then there were shortages and it was an interesting time. You've also got another sister series, the Westwood to Home historical fiction, and that deals with women in the West, I think in the 19th century, inspirational romances with titles like Delia and the Drifter, Miranda and the Minor, Julianne and the Judge. I love the titles, actually. Once again, a sister series. Tell us a little bit about that one. It's obviously different from these others and probably required more research into the 19th century. Yeah, it was fun. I feel like I get more educated every time I write one of these historical series. It starts with Delia and she finds out through some hard things that the man she thought was her father that she doesn't get along with, which not everybody gets along with their parents, but there's some big things going on. She has sibling twins that are younger than her and they're favored. She finds out her real father is alive and her mother had remarried and never told her. Later on, she thinks that he died in the Civil War, but she finds out he has a ranch out in Colorado and she's had a little bit of education and she's pretty strong and independent and she decides to go out there. By the time she gets out there, unfortunately, there's been some water rights feuds going on and her dad's been shot and she gets left with everything and she's got this ranch to run and water rights problems. So it starts with her and then after that her half-sister is Miranda and she's got she's quite a character but her story gets pretty wild. She ends up in an Alaska mining town and after she's run away from her finishing school where she doesn't really fit in anyway and, and then the third one is the youngest half-sister, Julianne, who has just a completely different story and she ends up getting kidnapped and <laughs> it was actually really fun to write. <laughs> Do you have one genre that you prefer working with amongst all the different things you've done? 
I probably would have used to have said that women's contemporary fiction, but now that I've done more historicals and things, I, it, now I have to say it's usually whatever I'm working on it is what I'm loving. And I'm thinking that like right now I'm working on adapting screenplays and I'm thinking this is really fun. I like doing this. But then I'll be writing books soon and they'll be, oh, I love doing this. So it's whatever so I'm working on. Adapting the screenplays, is that for the teen series or for something else? No, it's not for the teen series. I probably can be involved in that if I want to, but they'll start out with the team first because that's a big project, setting up a series. But I did an adaptation for one book that was made into a movie, a Hallmark movie called All Summer Long. And I looked carefully at that adaptation because I had done some screenplays, not very many. I didn't have the confidence to do it at that time. But when I saw what was done, I thought I could have done that. And I went and watched the movie being filmed and learned more. And then I had a book that I had just finished called The Happy Camper. And I thought, okay, I'm going to adapt this one myself. So I did. And Brian Bird, who he's well known for When Calls the Heart, he's really good at what he does. And he did The Happy Camper and it was filmed in March. And I got to go on location and see that being done too. So now I'm really keen on doing more adaptations. I did another one that's called Looking for Leroy that we have really strong interest in. And I think maybe it's going to get picked up here too. So it's just fun. I was just talking with a producer yesterday. And now that I finally got my bookshelf up in my office, and I can actually see my books. I was saying, that, well, we could do this and we could do that. And so I'm all jazzed about the possibilities. Oh, that's wonderful. You live in a beautiful part of the country in the Pacific Northwest and close to a national park as well. I thought it would be fun for listeners if you help them to visualize what your working life is like and what you look out on from your office. Well, now I look out on a garden that I created in the last six months. Got big sunflowers out there and pumpkins because, you know, we're in a different season than you guys. Yeah. Beyond that, there's tall, we have ponderosa pine trees, tall pine trees. And I've been to New Zealand. I didn't spend much time there, but in a way, our Oregon and New Zealand have a lot of similarities. And we've got the mountains, we've got the ocean, we've got natural beauty. And I think New Zealanders would feel a friend of mine, her son, is from Oregon and now lives in New Zealand and they go back and forth and you'd feel at home here. Yes, I, when I saw the pictures on your website, I thought it did look rather like some of the New Zealand forest you can see. Right, yeah. And I think just the lakes and the mountains and farmland. Beautiful. So getting to write 200 books, how many do you publish a year? I used to jokingly say I was the book of the month club because... I was just really cranking them out. And now in the last few years, it, I've gone down to more like four, maybe a year. And then the screenplay's in there too. And my goal was to make more room that I could start doing more of the screenplay. Because I have, over the years, we've had so many times we were almost, and then finally, and then right when things got going, then COVID hit, and that just put a damper on everything. So I've been chomping at the bit to, to do that. I think of something like the Virgin River series, Robin Cars. That's a pretty typical date for the sort of thing that you can do, isn't it? Yes, absolutely. Turning away from the specific books to your wider career, you mentioned that you'd been a um, preschool teacher or a nursery school teacher. Talk, tell us a bit about your work-life experience before you began writing. I'm not sure if there were many years before you became a writer. And how has it influenced your books? 
there weren't many more years. Um, ironically, I was in your neck of the woods. I taught in Papua New Guinea in pre preschool for a year there when I was very young, and then came home and taught preschool. I did it while my children were young, and then I, I had a group home daycare center that we built onto our home and had that. So I could be home when they would come home from school. And it was a fun way to know all the neighborhood kids. But finally, I got tired of that. And then I worked in international adoption for a while, very short while with Holt International, which was really good story material that I could have got there. And I worked with an interior decorator. I thought I wanted to do that for a while. I got good story material there, too. And then I worked in a publishing company for a while. But during those last years, I was writing at the same time. And then finally, the writing took over and I quit working altogether. Writing was my full-time job. Yeah. So what was it that sparked the writing? I had always loved to write. As a child, I would write little stories and illustrate them and staple them together and make covers. I don't know, just the, the writing gene, I guess. And all through school, whenever I had the opportunity to write a short story or a poem, or if it was choice between essay questions or true and false, I'd always go essay. And especially in college, because if I didn't know the material, I could write my way out of it, whether I did or not. And I could always ace any writing project. But the funny thing was, I didn't take the writing seriously, even though I did it all the time. I journaled, I wrote letters, I write things for the newspaper, but it wasn't until my children were approaching their teen years that suddenly I thought, I've got to do this. I'm going to write a book. And I did sit down and wrote a book. Is there something that you would credit as, quotes the secret of your success? Is there a characteristic or a talent or even a mentor or somebody who encouraged you, something like that? I think it's maybe it's just stubbornness. <laughs> my mom, she just passed away. I love her. And my husband was old-fashioned and asked my mom if he could marry me way back when. And she launched into a lecture. Well, she's really strong-willed. She's really stubborn. She's really just all of my most <laughs> wonderful traits. But I think that has be well as a writer because it's like you have to have some stubborn resilience. Because I'm in a group with some new writers right now and they're getting rejections. And I just tell them, you, you just got to get a thick skinned and you just got to keep going and persevere and believe in what you're doing and just go for it. So yeah. I guess maybe stubbornness would be my answer. Yeah. What does being a success mean to you? In life, it would be different than in writing. In life, it would be having people that you love and love you and doing your best for that. In writing, I think, honestly, I probably thought after I had so many books published that in a movie would feel like success. But to be honest, it was just like another day. I have friends that were way more excited about it than I am, but I like it and I enjoy it. Okay. I know the answer. <laughs> when I get around to answering fan mail, I have a fan mail separate account email. And when I read those letters, and sometimes I'll get one from a teenage girl that is now 30 and just something just really amazing and how a book changed her life. And if I wanted to feel like a success, that would probably make me feel more like a success than anything. That's lovely. We always like to ask people, number one, whether they have been a binge reader at any stage. And secondly, what books they're reading at the moment they'd like to recommend? Because I write so much, I don't have 
as much time to binge read. Sometimes I will binge TV though, because it's a different, your eyes aren't focusing on the words. But most recently, and I'm going to be embarrassed because I can't remember her name, but I really did start binging on this woman who lives in Italy and she was a food writer and I'm on her third book and I don't have it with me and I'm just blank. It's just this take you away stories in Tuscany, but it's her real life. It's like a memoir, but it doesn't feel like a memoir. It feels like you're really there. And I should know her name. We'll (laughs) fill that in for our readers before this gets published, if that's okay, because it sounds very interesting to me as well. Is it a contemporary? Yeah, she. I think her first book was maybe 2011, and I think she's got four or five books. I have four of her books. I loaned one of them out to a friend, and I was just about to finish the other one. I was going to tell my friend, okay, you're going to return my book. (laughs) But she originally wrote in Italian, and now they translated. No, she was an American who married an Italian Ah. and remade her life over there. And the way she talks about the foods and the cooking and the wine and the olives and harvesting things and then putting them together. But then it's all about the people and the friendships. And it's just, I don't know. I took her of my mom while she was passing away. And so I really had a little time to binge read because she slept a lot. And that's where I got started on these. And it was just this wonderful take me away, which I hope that my books are like that too. And I, I have heard from readers like, thank you. Of course, I, I feel bad when they say I didn't go to bed until four o'clock in the morning. <laughs> That's not really my plan, but I, <laughs> yeah, sometimes we need that. And to cheat a little bit, what have you been binge watching on TV? I haven't really been binge watching much of anything lately. I really love old movies and we have a classic real channel that if I binge anything, it's on that channel and those old forties movies, even some of the good thirties movies. I just love them. And actually today I was watching some. I had an event where I found out I had high blood pressure. It's been a stressful year and I had never had high blood pressure before. And anyway, it, I got warned, you need to calm it down. So today I really calmed it down. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. It was wonderful. Looking back down the tunnel of time, if there was one thing about your creative career that you'd changed, what would it be? Oh, that's a really good question. Uh, This is going to sound weird, but looking back, I think I might have slowed it down a little bit. Even though I had the opportunity to write 10 books a year, maybe it would have been better if I'd only done six. It's still a heck of a lot of books. (laughs) Yeah, I know. This doesn't happen now, but then it felt like publishers were throwing contracts at me. And when you go through that initial rejection period and then suddenly the doors are open, it's hard to close them. And and I knew I was a really fast writer, too, because when I started to write, it was when I had jobs and children and stuff. So I would only have a spare hour here or maybe a Saturday here or whatever. So I would write extremely fast. And and so publishers love that. I can just crank them out. What is next for Melody, the author? What are you working on at the moment? I'm trying to decide which screenplay. And I think actually the decision might have been made today because the Christmas book that I just finished that won't be out until 2023, its working title is A Royal Christmas. And I already am optioning that. And she just said today that that I could write the screenplay for it. I didn't know that until today because yesterday I was talking to somebody else saying, let's do something different. Nobody told me the dates yet, but I have a feeling I need to get moving on it. And I have about 20 pages already started. So at least it's begun. I know the answer to this question before I ask it because of what you've already said, but 
we still do have to ask it. And that is, do you enjoy interacting with your readers and where can they find you online? I love interacting with them. My website is melodycarlson.com and then I am on Facebook. I am not doing as much social stuff as, as some people are. And although I'm hearing more people are letting things go too, so I'm not feeling quite so alone. And then people can also email me letters to Melody Carlson books at Gmail, which I really do answer them. I don't answer them really fast, but within a month or two, I get them all answered and then I let it go again for a while. That's lovely. That's great, Melody. Thank you so much for your time. It's been a pleasure talking. Yes, thank you. It was fun. Next week on The Joys of Binge Reading, Faith Hogan is an award-winning and best-selling Irish author of nine contemporary novels, the latest of which is The Gin Sisters Promise. Her books are described as grown-up, feel-good women's fiction, which is unashamedly uplifting and inspiring, but doesn't dodge the hard questions. Also, Faith has got a Christmas book out, The First Day of Christmas. We'll be talking about that one as well. That's next week on The Joys of Binge Reading.